thinking of popping the question? Diamonds Direct has an offer you can't miss. This month only, buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. No one provides education, selection, and value like Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet from your friends at Diamonds Direct won't last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango? So I'm not super into James Bond. I mean, I love spy movies, but to me, James Bond never did it. And I get why they're popular. Like, the movies are filled with beautiful people and foreign accents and awesome cars. Mm -hmm. But to me, the only thing I ever really liked about James Bond movies, and this is so weird to admit, but I like the settings. You like the settings. Yeah, think about it. It's always these exotic, gorgeous locations. And so my memories of watching Sean Connery aren't really of him fighting or doing interesting things, so much as him running around Montenegro and Geneva and the Bahamas. And even today, they take place in Panama City and Hong Kong and all these cities that just drip with color. That's right. But here's what's interesting. I never realized there was a thread linking all of those places. I've been reading this incredible journalist, Nicholas Shaxson, and he points out that almost every Bond movie takes place in a tax haven, which blew my mind. Like, of course they're sending James Bond on assignment there, and it's not for the pretty women. It's because in real life, there's all this mysterious money flowing through there, which means, you know, international intrigue and high-powered criminals and crooked deals. All of that's real, huh. and it's all made possible by really loose tax laws. Right. <laughs> like, this is so nerdy, but after realizing that, it actually made me interested in watching 007 again. Okay, so you want to watch James Bond for the tax laws? <laughs> I do. That's got to be the worst reason for watching an action movie, but it is a pretty good segue into our thrilling look at tax shelters. So let's get started. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangesh Hatikader. And in today's episode, we're going to help all of our billionaire listeners learn more about how to put their money in tax havens around the world. Are you ready to learn where you can put your billions, Mango? I mean, I've been hiding all my money under mattresses for Matt, years. That's got to be a lot of mattresses at this point. I know, it's too many mattresses right now. <laughs> so we're looking for sunny places to avoid our taxes, because I don't just want a place to keep my stacks of money. I want to look tan and relaxed while I do it. Or maybe we're just curious to learn more about these places. So we want to know, where are the biggest tax havens? Are they all on sunny islands? How hard is it to get our offshore operations set up? Why are Swiss bank accounts so popular? So we'll discuss all this and, and plenty more along the way. We'll talk about some of the more bizarre taxes in history. And in a bit, we'll be joined by Holly Fry, the host of Stuff You've Missed in History Class, and mm -hmm. play one of our super important games. Do we have a, a pretty terrible game lined up for us? Do usual? we? Definitely. Awesome. And of course, we'll be playing our part-time genius quiz. Who's playing with us today, Mango? Today, we wanted to talk to taxpayers. So we did this sweeping call for listeners who pay their taxes, and we found two. We did. Wow. <laughs> After the long search. That's awesome. Can't wait to talk to them. And for those of you listening, remember, we're always looking for fun pairs. So follow us on Facebook or Twitter to see what we're looking for in future episodes. It might be carpenters named Nigel, people who are afraid of food with tiny holes in it, <laughs> politicians in towns with fewer than 10,000 people. You never know what we're going to be looking for, so be ready. All right, back to today's big question. Where are the sunniest places to park our money, and what do you know about tax havens, Mango? 
So it's no surprise the super rich have been hiding money from governments for centuries now. And one of the biggest questions is how much dough are we talking about? And so the chief economist at McKinsey estimates there's somewhere between 21 and 32 trillion dollars oh, stashed wow. in tax havens. I know that's trillion with a T. Trillion with a T as opposed to trillion with the with a B or an F. <laughs> yeah, okay, got it. Trillion. Trillions. Okay. Um, which is insane. But last year we got the first big glimpse at how pervasive this industry is with the Panama Papers. Right. So those were the documents that got leaked from the Panama law firm, Mossack Fonseca, which was huge news, of course. Yeah, I didn't realize the volume of the hack, but there were 11.5 million documents released. Oh, wow. Yeah, so journalists from all over the world hopped on it, and they uncovered how Panama has been helping wealthy people hide their money. And of course, Panama is just one of the many countries out there doing this. But right. before we dig into the specifics, can we talk about who's on the list? Well, of course. So let me read you some names of the clients who are operating shell companies in Panama because it's astounding. Like, let's start with the heads of state. The president of Argentina, the president of Ukraine, the king of Saudi Arabia, Italy's former prime minister is on there, the prime minister of Iceland, even the prime minister of Australia. Like, that's just a fraction of the world leaders. And many of them have their relatives who have shell accounts too, but... These aren't obscure dictatorships. We're talking about Iceland and Australia. And the list is filled with celebrities, too, like Stanley Kubrick was on there, Lionel Messi, Jackie Chan. No, not Jackie Chan. I know, and I get it. I mean, people hate taxes, right? People have always hated paying taxes. The whole idea of America is based on that. Like, we didn't want to pay a tea tax or a stamp tax or whatever. <laughs> but seeing the size of this list and who's on it, doesn't it feel outrageous? Yeah. Like, world leaders shouldn't be playing this game. No, it's definitely crazy. After seeing how many contemporary people were avoiding paying their taxes, I decided to start looking into historical figures <laughs> who'd avoided taxes. And you know who I lost a little respect for? Who's that? William Shakespeare. What? I know. Shakespeare was a tax dodger. In school, he's looked at as this man of the people. He's a Glover's son from the countryside. He made good by telling stories everyone could appreciate. And he's a moral force. Like, this is the same guy who has Lady Macbeth washing and re-washing her hands (laughs) because of a guilty conscience. But recently, this professor from Wales, Jane Archer, located all these court documents that show him being charged with tax evasion. And because he's Shakespeare instead of jail time, he got slapped on the wrist, given a few minor fines over and over. Meanwhile, not only was he hoarding money from the government, but he was hoarding grain. What? Which doesn't sound like a big deal, but he did it during a famine. This is how bad it was. <laughs> which is doubly problematic because not only was it illegal, but he was profiting off spiking food prices and selling it to hungry commoners. What? So first Jackie Chan, now Bill Shakespeare, like all my heroes. I know, it's almost too much to handle. But, you know, obviously people want to accumulate wealth and keep as much of their money as they can. And in some ways you can't blame them because historically taxes used to be outrageous. Mm -hmm. So like in the Depression era, Roosevelt thought no citizen should make more than $25,000, which is essentially $300,000 a year today. So during World War II, the tax on the absolute richest Americans rose to an astounding 94%. I knew they were high, but 94? 94%. I mean, today people gripe about a 33% tax rate. Uh But let's get back to where all this untaxed hidden money is going. Tax havens. You want to walk us through the definition? I can, but before I do, did you ever hear about that FDR scheme to make taxes more popular? I don't think so. So (laughs) this happened right after Pearl Harbor. Roosevelt reached out to Irving Berlin and got him to write a song called I Paid My Income Tax Today. (laughs) (laughs) It's this super peppy song about all the Mr. Small Fries out there who actually are doing this super patriotic duty by paying their taxes and paying for the bombers in the sky that are going to win the war. And I think FDR wanted every American like singing along proudly, but of course, I Paid My Income Tax Today is not a song that gets a ton of airplay. I mean, it's kind of weird. There's not been a remix of it. <laughs> I'm sure Kanye's got it in the works. Oh, but uh, <laughs> let's, let's get back to your original question, which was explaining what makes a tax haven. So most people think of them as these places with very low to non-existent taxes, and that's definitely true. But there are two other key factors that are usually involved. One is secrecy. Yeah. And many of these countries and territories have laws that prevent them from sharing financial info with foreign countries and tax authorities. This is, of course, great if you're doing something suspicious or planning to do something suspicious. So these places kind of argue that the banker-client relationship is similar to doctor-patient confidentiality or, you know, a lawyer-client privilege. Yeah. 
And the other key factor is that tax havens usually make it very easy to incorporate there. Yeah, they do. I don't know. Did you hear the uh, Planet Money episode on this topic? I didn't. It was great. The host decided to set up a shell corporation in Belize. Uh-huh. And so they called the number to set it up. They reached customer service in Latvia, who helped <laughs> them create a Swiss bank account. And for a little more money, they could actually keep themselves off the paperwork and set up a fake board of directors. Uh-huh. All it took was a week or two. And in just about seven days or so, they had this newly registered company in Belize, which they named Unbelievable, <laughs> which is the best part. That's amazing. Also, and this is very important to note, but much of what we're talking about is not illegal. I mean, it might be shady and Mm -hmm. unethical, but largely most of this stuff can be buttoned up so that it's not illegal. And of course, it isn't just private citizens avoiding their taxes through creating shell corporations. It's actual corporations doing it too. Exactly. In fact, it's almost become this point of pride for corporations to pay as little as possible. But the accounting is super complicated. Like, to give you a comparison, the editor of The Guardian said the sort of accounting gymnastics that's being used is, quote, as intelligible to the average person as particle physics. I know, he's not exaggerating. Like, there's this book called The Heavens, which is this beautiful photographic tour of tax havens. And one of the spreads early in the book shows how hard it is to live without using companies that rely on tax shelters. It's basically every company you use. Like, let me pull up a few of these. So Amazon routes its money through Luxembourg. Hmm. Google uses a method called the double Irish and Dutch sandwich, which I know it sounds delicious, but it's combined with a scheme in Bermuda to make their tax burden completely negligible. From 2009 to 2012, Apple set, quote, the gold standard for these companies by shifting $74 billion into an Irish subsidiary, and they reduced their tax burden to just 2%. Oh, wow. Like, can you imagine only paying 2% on your taxes? And it's not just them. It's like Starbucks, Coke, Heinz, Tampax, Gillette, Pringles, Pepsi. Every corporation's doing this. I think you named every company out there, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like steroids in sports. I mean, you don't want to admit that your favorite athlete might be juicing. But at the same time, if everyone's doing it, how do you compete? Mm-hmm. But let's give a super basic illustration of how this works. Sure. So let's say I'm growing flowers and exporting them from Honduras, and they cost me $100 to, like, grow and package them. Mm -hmm. Then I might sell them to my shady shell company for $100. So on the books, I make zero profit in Honduras. And as a result, I don't pay any taxes there. And then Shady Shell, which I operate from this sunny tax haven, takes these flowers and sells them to a grocery store in Germany for $500. Okay. And this is, of course, entirely a paper transaction because actually taking the flowers from Honduras to my tax shelter to Germany would be inefficient. I'd say. So it's just on the books. But because Shady Shell pays no corporate taxes, and then once the sale goes through to Germany, I'm theoretically looking at a $400 profit. Right. And so that example may be a little oversimplified, Mm -hmm. but the principle is there. If you can run the money through multiple countries, sometimes anonymously, and if you have super savvy international tax lawyers looking at paper transactions, you can reduce your tax burden dramatically. Yeah, it's baffling. So tell us a little about tax havens, which aren't exactly a modern phenomena. And I think you might have to go into history professor mode for this. So uh, I'm going to pull out this lectern. All right. Thank you. That'll help. So (laughs) So modern tax havens have been around for over a century now. Our first tax havens, as we think of them, emerged after Great Britain started loosening their governance over places like Hong Kong and Gibraltar and the Channel Islands and other places that were protectorates in their system. Now, these places made it easier for people to hide their money. And this is where the first idea of offshore accounts came up. Hmm. So as we get into the 1900s, we start seeing wealthier people hiding money in places like Bermuda and Monaco because these governments wanted in on the action. And they realized they could make money in other ways, through real estate and other local spending by offering incredibly strong tax incentives for people to bring their money there. And of course, for corporate tax havens in the U.S., Delaware has been luring business away from places like New York and New Jersey as far back as the late 1800s. So, you know, I'm a proud son of Delaware. I so do know that. Every time you say something negative about my home state, I'm going to have to counter with a positive fact. Oh, great. So this one's going to be uh, Dr. Heimlich of the Heimlich Maneuver was born there. Oh, that's an excellent fact, Mango. <laughs> Actually, I always just assumed he was German. I know. Are you defending Switzerland on today's program, too? Because if you want to talk about the granddaddy of tax shelters, that story starts in Switzerland. I am not. (laughs) But before we get into that, what do you say we play a game? That sounds pretty good. So who do we have on the line today, Mango? 
We cast a wide call and found two listeners who actually admitted to paying their taxes. Wow, two real taxpayers. In the this flesh. is impressive. Okay, well let's uh let's meet him. First we have Donald. Now Donald, we've read about your illustrious career and the fact that you're from Chicago, but the thing that really stood out to us is that you are the world's biggest Janet Jackson fan. Is this true? Absolutely. I am a card carrying member of the Rhythm Nation. Now, is, it, is it a little bit easier these days to be the number one ranking Janet Jackson fan than it was, say, 20 years ago? Uh, 30 years ago. Uh, it's, 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 it's a tough time for us right now, the right. Beyonce world, but we're, we're doing what we can. Well, welcome to Part-Time Genius. We're glad to have you. And John, we understand you are the founder of a company called Ciao Andiamo, which offers these boutique travel experiences across Italy. But I need to ask you, how many Vespas have you ridden in the past year? Um, Three. Three. Is that true? Oh, I've only crashed one of them. Okay, good, good. All right, well, welcome to Part-Time Genius. So, Mango, what are we having these taxpayers play today? We're playing a game we invented, and it's a really stupid game called Death and Something That Rhymes With Taxes. All right, and what are our guests playing for? So, this week, like every other week, they're playing for a chance to win a note to their mom or boss that will send singing their praises. Okay, all right, so let's play. So, we've all heard that Ben Franklin said nothing was certain other than death and taxes. And these are all phrases that rhyme with that. So let's give an example. If we said nothing is certain other than dying and John Coltrane's instrument, you'd say... Death and saxes. Death and saxes. That makes sense to you guys? Yes, makes sense. All right, excellent. So here's how this is going to work. Instead of just uh, regular chimes, because we need to know who's going to be buzzing in, we're going to give you guys uh, animal noises to use. So, Donald, how do you feel about being our moor? All right. John, you want to be our caca? Caca! So we're going to play some death and something that rhymes with taxes. Okay, here we go. Question number one. Don't forget to buzz in with your animal noises when you know the answer. Dying and Lizzie Borden's weapon of choice. Caca! Okay. What do you think, John? Um, is it death and axes? Well done. Nice job. All right. Question number two. Donald, you ready? Dying and a scanning machine that transmits documents over the phone line. Caca! Ooh. <laughs> I think that sounds like John. I heard a caca first. John, what is it? Death and faxes. Death and faxes. Okay. He's got two. I think this next one's going to Donald. I just feel it. All right. Question number three. Dying and a painful hair removal process I'd rather not indulge in. Caca! <laughs> Go ahead, John. Death and waxes. He's got it. All right. Question number four. Dying and something I'd buy at a movie theater. What is it, John? Um, death and snacks. Death and snacks is. Okay, here we go. Now remember, we're not using any last names oh, wait, in this. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep, death and snacks is. Question number five. Dying and Harvey Weinstein's movie company if he had two of them. Moo. <laughs> Let's hear it, Donald. Yes, and Miramax. Yes. Oh, back in it. He's in it. All right, here we go. Question number six. Dying and a long-haired bovine-like animal that grazes in Tibet. Kaka. What is it, John? Death and yaks. That was a good one. That was one of a toughie. I didn't, I didn't know if anybody would get that one. All right, we've got our last one here. Number six. Dying and stuff that we use floss for so it doesn't collect on our teeth. Oh, moo. Okay, let's hear it, Donald. Death and, death and waxes. Yes. <laughs> Don't question yourself. You just got to go with it, man. All right, so what's our final score here, Mango? So uh, John destroyed Donald with a score of 5-2, to two, unfortunately. Mm. But I think we can send Ooh, both their mom's notes. I think so, too. I feel good about that. So thank you guys for coming on to uh, Part-Time Genius and playing a little game with us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com governance. IBM. Let's create. 
This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. We're talking about tax havens today so that when Mango becomes a billionaire, he'll know exactly where to hide his money. Becomes a billionaire. Oh, yeah. (laughs) My bad. My bad. Now, there are dozens of tax shelters around the world, each offering a unique mix of perks. But remembering that we want to be on a sunny island when we incorporate Shady Shell, which is our incredibly Shady Shell company, tell me about these tax havens. Are they all in the tropics? Well, that's definitely the image most people have when they think of tax havens, like palm trees and flip-flops and blue waters. But Mm -hmm. tax havens aren't all in the tropics. Well, let's come back to the locations that aren't so sunny in just a minute. But why are so many of them in the tropics? So much of it comes down to diversifying revenue streams. Like many islands in warm places recognize that their economies were overly dependent on tourism. So they decided to expand into financial services as a way to diversify and generate new money. And some of these moved towards this in the 50s and 60s. But a lot of them only turned into tax shelters going into the Internet age when all you needed to set up an account was a good phone line and Internet. So take a place like the Micronesian nation of Nauru. The country used to be a massive phosphate mine, and for a short while, the people were considered the richest on Earth. But the tiny nation was just stripped and stripped of all its natural resources until the country's interior was basically uninhabitable. And then the Island Trust made some really bad investments and was fleeced out of its wealth. So when the country needed quick money, transforming into a tax haven seemed pretty attractive. So you know I uh, I loved the reporter Jack Hitt. You mean the guy from uh, This American Life? Yeah, so Jack Hitt did this piece for the New York Times where he traveled to Nauru to knock on the door of this place that registered thousands of shell corporations. And what he found, other than a basically an empty building with a maid in it, was that the country wasn't just offering tax shelter services, but they'd also started offering these ridiculous packages. Like, one of the schemes was that for $25,000, you could set up your own bank on the country to run your <laughs> transactions through and make your transfers seem more official. It's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, so the hope was that all these $25,000 deals would add up. All right, so I see why these island nations get into the game, but what are the biggest tax havens in the world? Well, as you mentioned earlier, the king is still Switzerland when it comes to private wealth. You know what's funny is that we all know about Swiss bank accounts because almost any movie from the 70s or 80s where there was a ransom, you'd have some smart criminal always (laughs) demand that money get put into a numbered Swiss bank account. It's kind of the gold standard of offshore accounts. So why is it always Switzerland? Well, this goes back to something I read from Nicholas Shaxson, where he offers up Switzerland as this amazing case study for how global perceptions don't match up with reality. Like, the Switzerland we think of is super clean, and the people are honest and punctual, and it operates efficiently. So, of course, it's at the bottom of the corruption perception index. 
because it seems like an honest place for business. Right. Everything about Switzerland seems to run smoothly. I mean, I, I saw this thing that even the way they deal with pets is more orderly. Like if you're a dog owner in Switzerland, you have to take a training course and then pass a test <laughs> on proper care for your pup. And, of course, there are taxes based on your dog's size and weight, so it's not a strain on society. Oh, man. My family's famous for having nothing but disobedient and spoiled dogs. Like, my mom used to keep the temperature in our house uncomfortably low just so our super fuzzy dog was comfortable. Oh, gosh. So we'd wear jackets and keep a space heater going just so the dog was okay. Sounds pretty terrible. <laughs> but in Switzerland, everything seems totally by the book and straight-laced. And if you compare that corruption perception list to the Tax Justice Network's financial secrecy list, it's completely flipped. And the Swiss are number one on that list. Oh, wow. Basically, they are the shady bank capital of the world. And they've been that way for a while now. Right. So people often think it goes back to World War II, but the system is actually much older than that. I think it's your turn to play, Professor, now. Sure. So there's this law that Switzerland enacted its secrecy laws to protect Jewish money from the Nazis. And that's a nice story, but it isn't exactly true. I mean, the Swiss have always been happy to take money from both sides. But Shaxon basically shows that the Swiss realized very early, way back in 1619 during the Thirty Years' War, that being neutral in wartime was really good business. So that was in the 1600s, and by 1713, Geneva had already codified it. They had bound Swiss bankers to be completely confidential. So between being neutral and stable and now armed with this cloak of secrecy, like all of that made Switzerland this super attractive holding ground for wealthy families. Yeah. Like if you were rich and you wanted to protect your assets from invading forces, Switzerland made a lot of sense. And if you were rich and didn't want to pay higher taxes to your government to subsidize the war, Switzerland also made sense. So either way, clients knew they could count on Swiss discretion to keep their money safe. So they were early war profiteers, totally. I guess. And even though some of these privacy laws have been chipped away a bit, Switzerland is still estimated to have about a quarter of the world's offshore wealth. I mean, that is a ton of money. I know. Of course, that statistic is a little bit misleading because most of the rankings don't group the United Kingdom with other places under its jurisdiction. Yeah, that's right. Like, if you did group the UK together with places like the Cayman Islands and Jersey and Bermuda and the rest of its network – it would be by far the largest tax haven. I mean, these places are at least partly independent, but their governance is appointed by the Queen, and their laws are decided in London. I mean, the Queen's face is on all of their money, so I'd say they're pretty British. Yeah, that's pretty British, all right. So. <laughs> it's weird because the deeper you dig, you realize everyone's hands are dirty. Like, France's president is technically the co-prince of Andorra, <laughs> which is a principality, but has also functioned as a tax haven for decades. And London is heavily implicated in all of this dark money scattered around. I know. I read that when Margaret Thatcher died, it was revealed that her six million pound townhome was registered to a company in the British Virgin Islands. And Private Eye magazine, they did this investigation on Britain's Ministry of Justice, and they discovered the tax tribunals were operating out of a building owned in Gibraltar. It's hard to keep your mind out of conspiracy theory territory when you read stuff like that. I know, it gets so murky between what's legitimate and what isn't, right? Like, there's this outrage online about how the BBC has never aired a big tax expose about all of this because it's rejected a few opportunities. And I don't know, maybe the ones they got pitched weren't any good? I know. So I remember when I was an editor and people always used to ask why we hadn't done a Bigfoot article. And this Bigfoot Believer Society got on our case for not publishing anything pro-Bigfoot. And I was like, if you could just tell me one good fact, maybe I'd run something. <laughs> so uh, speaking of British overseas territories, have you actually heard the story of how the Cayman Islands got its start? I don't think I have. Oh, it's so good. So in the 60s, the Bahamas was where wealthy people used to route their money. And it was considered the smart bet because of its connection to London banks and the perceived stability. Plus, it was just a short plane ride from Miami and Cuba or whatever. But when the country elected its first black president... Suddenly, all these wealthy clients got skittish and started looking for another British protectorate close by. And the Caymans was this truly podunk island at the time, like really podunk. Mm -hmm. And from the descriptions, it was just swarms of mosquitoes chasing cattle around, and it had a bit of diving tourism. But the bankers, and I'm being totally serious here, were communicating by Morse code <laughs> because they because there weren't proper phone lines on the island. It was that undeveloped. And in less than a decade, it was built up specifically to accommodate this financial white flight, which is doubly heartbreaking. Yeah, and today, of course, the Caymans are like the crown jewel of tax shelters. Like there's this place on the islands called the Ugland House where some 19,000 shell corporations have been filed. 
And what was it Obama said about it? I think he said either this is the largest building in the world or the biggest tax scam on record. <laughs> I'm going with tax scam. Me too. I mean, the Ugland who started it, Andreas Ugland, has a museum stocked with rare Ferraris and Bentleys and motorbikes. <laughs> so I think he's done all right for himself. Plus, supposedly there's some really shady money going through the Caymans. Like, Shaxon got this former financial officer to talk to him off the record. And supposedly the money that's flowing through includes deals for international arms rings and drug money and all that James Bond stuff we were talking about oh, at wow. the top. And we know you're a James Bond expert. From- <laughs> and law enforcement in places like Jersey and the British Virgin Islands, they're frustrated because instead of being able to investigate things, they're encouraged to give out routine traffic stop violations instead of following the paper trails. Yeah. It's insane. Well, what good is a great beachy tax shelter if it isn't safe for pedestrians? (laughs) All right, so we've touched on England and Switzerland, but here's something that may surprise our listeners, and that's where the U.S. falls in all of this. Yeah, it's crazy because we hear so much about how the U.S. is losing so much of its potential tax revenue to tax havens around the world. But it turns out the U.S. is quickly becoming what some describe as a mega tax haven. This is because states like Nevada, Wyoming, and yes, your beloved Delaware provide such easy ways for companies to avoid their taxes. Well, you know, my beloved Delaware, but also Bob Marley's, who worked (laughs) in a car plant in Wilmington for a little while before becoming a reggae star. Good fact, Mango. I'm going to have to (laughs) avoid my Delaware references here. Now, it turns out these states allow people to maintain their anonymity more than almost any other tax havens around the world. In fact, some of these states don't even really require you to provide your identity when setting up a company there. So I obviously benefited from Delaware's tax structure, right? We had wonderful public schools and good services. And when I was growing up, it was a really moderate state. And so I've always heard Delaware was a great place to start a business. But I didn't quite realize how easy it is for foreigners to set one up there. Like, it's honestly harder to get a library card than it is to set up a business. <laughs> because with a library card, all you need to do is, like, show your identification and then an electricity bill. And then you have to do it within standard hours. And you don't have to do any of this with the business. You just kind of have to tell them what your business is and provide a point of contact. Right. And in Delaware, the government offices actually stay open until midnight, Monday to Thursday, to accommodate the (laughs) business. And 9.30 on Friday. You can get a corporation created in under an hour, which is just astounding. Yeah, that's one of the things you hear growing up a lot, that there are more corporations in the state than people. And it's why the movie Fight Club is supposedly based in Delaware. But Delaware has carved out this little niche for itself because it functions very much like that Shady Shell example at the top. There are a few intangible assets, like things like trademarks and royalties and copyright that Delaware won't tax. So a company can basically run its accounts through a shell corporation in Delaware, assign those profits to those intangible assets, and then reduce its tax burden along the way. And all of this looks better in terms of public perception than running your accounts through an offshore account. Right. Like, both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton have companies registered in the same building in Delaware. <laughs> and while that in itself doesn't mean anything, I'm pretty sure neither of them live there. Yeah, I don't think so. Well, those laws work even better for foreigners cycling their money through the U.S. than for U.S. citizens because these very tax laws cater to them. And as a result, the U.S. has quickly become one of the top destinations for foreigners to hide their assets and not pay taxes in their home country. And one of the main reasons these states have become such prime destination is because the U.S. refused to sign the OECD, which was the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Hmm. Now, this initiative was established to allow countries to share banking and investment information. But despite 97 other countries signing on, the U.S. was one of four who did not. (laughs) So if you live outside the United States and you're looking for a great place to hide your millions and billions, for only $500 or $600, you can set up your shell company in Delaware and maintain total anonymity. I love that the U.S. was one of four. And so I looked up the other three, and do you know who those superpowers were? No. It's Bahrain, Nauru, and Vanuatu. And it's good ridiculous. company. <laughs> but back to Delaware for a second. While it does have a great beach, and as much as I can boost the state, which, did you know the ladybug is the state bug? I did not. And it's because a second grade class wrote the governor to suggest it. <laughs> like, that's how adorable my state is. We, I think we get it. I think we like, you, you like Delaware. <laughs> but for all my propaganda, I wouldn't exactly call it tropical, so we should cross it off the list. So our guest today is the co-host of one of our favorite podcasts, Stuff You Missed in History Class. She and her co-host, Tracy V. Wilson, always make me feel so much smarter with recent episodes on everything from the Kentucky Derby's first 50 years to the life of Lucille Ball to a brief history of foreign food in the U.S., 
is such a fascinating and smart podcast. Holly Fry, welcome to Part-Time Genius. Thank you so much. You make us sound so much smarter than we probably really are. Oh, you guys are so smart. We love the show. We've been fans for a long time. Now, Holly, I know one of your passions is historical fashion. Mm -hmm. Speaking of fashions, listeners don't always know that one of your huge, huge passions is Star Wars. It is. One of the delights of being able to come into this office <laughs> is seeing, and, and I mean this, like it's so awesome to see every day what you've put together as far as your attire related to Star Wars. Tell us a little about this. Uh, my crazy Star Wars clothing? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, um, the, uh, most of it I make mm-hmm. uh, because when you can't find what you want, you have to make it. Right. Um, and then a while back, I actually got into designing my own fabric. So now like... <laughs> I often get into this weird conversation with people where they'll go, oh, I love that dress. Where did you get it? And I'll say, oh, I made it. And then they look sad and they go, oh, but where did you buy the fabric? And I'm like, I had it custom printed. And I feel guilty <laughs> because I'm like dashing their hopes of having. And how long has this been going on? Uh, which part? Sewing? Having, yeah, like putting together your own. Oh, since you know, I was a kid. Wow. Yeah, I started sewing when I was three. So I, I was curious, you know, you're into historical fashion. Mm-hmm. Like, do you have any thoughts on what we should bring back? Oh, I always tell people I want to bring the bustle back. <laughs> I mean, it's just to accommodate the fact that I'm kind of a, a lady with a big butt, but I think the bustle is awesome. <laughs> I love it. It's really not. It's completely impractical. You, it's hard to drive. I've done it, but it's hard to drive a car wearing a bustle. What? You've done that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do it. It's really not smart. Don't do um, it. Okay. I was just trying to... We, we should not do this. You should not, because okay. there's no Got way it. to sit where... Where there isn't like a, you know, 12 inch gap between your back and the back of the seat. So it's really not like the safest thing. So we did a history book a while back and it was really odd to me that it only got placed on like the dad's table. And yeah. so I, I was curious, you know, I love the fact that you've got two awesome women hosting your podcast. And I was curious, like how much you think about this and how, how much you're thinking about like getting girls into history. Um, a bit, you know, part of it, I think is that in a lot of cases, history, has been written by white guys. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like by us and for us. So there isn't always a lot or hasn't historically been a lot for women and girls to really gravitate to. It's like, yeah, we know the George Washington thing. That's fine. Were there not any women back then you could talk about? <laughs> um, and there were, and there were people of all kinds of flavors and, you know, colors and cultural backgrounds and genders and it, that never really got talked about, which is why it's super fun for us to be able to go, hey, did you not know that there was actually, you know, one of the richest people in the world in the late 1800s and early 1900s was a woman because she was a really astute investor? The people don't always know that. Yeah. Hetty Green. I was going to say, I was going to say, okay, got it. Making sure you were going to say who it was. Yeah, Hetty Green. (laughs) She's a fascinating and slightly problematic character, but she, you know, people don't know that there were women making moves right along with men throughout history, even though they're not often spotlighted. Which is a perfect segue into collecting wealth. That's right. This whole episode is about taxes and tax havens. So I'm glad that you brought up Hetty Green. Uh, And so we are going to quiz you on this. Mango, what's our game today? It's called Tax or Tax Fraud. And it's pretty simple. We're going to give you a super strange tax law. And you're going to tell us whether it's real or not by (laughs) guessing tax or tax fraud. Oh, no. I'm going to sound like a fool. No, 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 no. So if we were going to say, uh, for example... In Hawaii, you can take a $32 deduction by showing that you're related to Barack Obama. You would say... I thought it was going to be about pineapples when you said Hawaii. I know a little bit about pineapple business. This is how she's going to do this. She's going to take it on a tangent. She'd be like, speaking of pineapples, like, no, 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 you were I'm going to say, no, that's a fraud. Yes, tax fraud. See, you're so good at this. All right. And and what is Holly playing for today? I'm going to start a... uh, Secondary career as a tax lawyer now. Clearly, <laughs> I'm on it. No. Well, as always, Holly's playing for our hard-earned admiration. Oh, wow. So, well, you can put that in the drawer then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, here we go. We got a few questions. First one. England has a TV tax where color TVs are taxed more than black and white TVs. However, if a blind person has a television, he or she has to pay only half that tax. Tax or tax fraud? I would believe that of Britain. That's true. Yeah, it that is makes true. perfect See? sense. To one me. for one. Ding, okay. Ding, ding. All right. Number two. If you're about to inherit a goldfish, you should move to Kansas, where proud goldfish owners can claim a $25 deduction for goldfish related expenses. I'm going to go with no. 
Tax fraud. She's two for two. two. For two. But if you were in Italy, that might be more realistic. <laughs> they have very heavy uh, animal protection laws, and goldfish are included in those. Question number three. Ankle socks are taxed differently from other socks in the state of Wyoming. Knee socks are considered professional wear and are cited as being useful in insect protection for day laborers, while ankle socks and also flip-flops are considered frivolous foot apparel. Tax or tax fraud? Is it a sales tax? Yeah. I would yes. totally believe it. Oh. Unfortunately, she has now gotten one wrong. I was worried that maybe She's you were fine. too smart for this game. So I'm, you're two I'm for not. three. That one but is tax fraud. But it does make fraud. a lot of sense. It does. Yeah. It does kind of make sense. I mean, in so. Wyoming, of all places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, number four in Wyoming. All right, <laughs> number four. Candies made with flour, think Kit Kats or malt balls, get taxed significantly lower in Chicago. I'm going to go with yes. That's right. That's absolutely true. Why, why is that, Mango? It's because things with flour are considered foods. So yeah. uh, Kit Kat or actually a piece of licorice, which for some reason is made with uh, flour, only gets a 1% tax, while like nerd candies would get a 6% tax. All right. She's three for four so far. Two more. Number five. In Texas, you can take deductions for tickets to high school, college, or professional football games. Attending a high school soccer game, however, gets you no benefits. I don't know if it's true, but I totally believe it. <laughs> I want you want it to be true, but it's unfortunately tax fraud. It I seems like that right. W- watching the soccer game isn't a benefit. Yeah, I mean, no. doesn't that seem because Texas is football country, yeah. right? Yeah. I could see yeah. them being like not not with the no. European football. No, 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 <laughs> we don't no, no. want that adulterating our sports. <laughs> All right, last one. In Oregon, double amputees can take a fifty dollar tax credit. They should surely get some kind of tax credit. So, yes. It is true. It yeah, is true. true. <laughs> so for those of you who have not checked out Stuff You Missed in History Class, you definitely need to do it. It's one of the best podcasts out there. Thank you so much, Holly Fry, for joining us. Oh, it's my great pleasure. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks, Holly. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. We've been talking about all the ways we're going to protect our billions, and we've been a little surprised at exactly where people seem to be keeping their money, and especially surprised at how big a role the United States is playing in the tax haven community. Community, it sounds like <laughs> such a quaint place, all these sweet billionaires just holding onto their money, sticking their tongue out at the tax man. They're doing it anonymously, of course. 
but it has gotten much harder to hide money in tax havens around the world. I mean, kind of. As for setting up an offshore company, it's not really that much harder than it was a few years ago. Banks seem to be requiring a few more hoops to jump through, but for the most part, you just have to provide identification, proof of address, and then sign on to their terms and conditions. Yeah, that's definitely true, but the U.S. has tried to make it more difficult for those trying to maintain their secrecy because more tax havens are now sharing information with the U.S. government, when asked at least. So in 2010, the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act was passed in the U.S., and that requires foreign banks to provide information to the U.S. Treasury. And while the U.S. can't force other countries to agree to it, the U.S. is, of course, big enough to make it very difficult for foreign banks to operate here if they didn't. So some of the places we've talked about, like Switzerland and the Cayman Islands, have now agreed to it and provide information to the U.S. government. And that can definitely help officials track down crimes and lost taxes. But the corporations and the wealthy are just so good at dodging. I mean, I forget who said this, but one journalist referred to the crackdown like trying to plug a dam with tennis rackets. (laughs) Like, it's going to slow things down, maybe, but that money is still going to flow through. It's this unwinnable game of cat and mouse. And you look at a corporation like IKEA, which is massively profitable, but partially because it registers itself as a non-profit company. I mean, IKEA considers itself a charitable organization just to get the massive tax breaks, which is so brazen. Well, to be fair, I looked up the IKEA charity's mission, and it's, (laughs) quote, to create a better everyday life for the many, which is just so wonderfully vague. (laughs) It really makes me want to spend more of my time volunteering at an IKEA. But you're right. There are so many avoidance schemes. Now, remember a few years ago, the company called AbbVie, the pharmaceutical giant and maker of Humira, they acquired one of their rivals, a company called Shire, which is a European company. It was this massive deal, not just for the $55 billion figure, but because of the fact that it allowed AbbVie to take advantage of a tax loophole in the U.S., something called an inversion. Hmm. Now, this is where a company that has at least 20% foreign ownership can then reincorporate abroad. So if the acquiring company is bigger, they can invert and become a subsidiary of the company they just acquired. That's so weird. And suddenly their tax burden to the IRS is much, much smaller. And this means that even though the company's executives are sitting in Chicago, the company now files out of the island of Jersey, which is a tiny island in the English Channel. Estimates put the cost to the U.S. Treasury at over $1 billion. The total cost of inversions to the U.S. is estimated at nearly $20 billion over the next decade. This was so much more fun to think about when it was just the idea of us sitting on a beach somewhere and not paying taxes. I know, I know. (laughs) But we might as well answer the question, what's the best island to park your billions? And I guess that would be my home state, Delaware, which is on the island of North America. sweet. (laughs) I don't know if that counts. I mean, but I figure you can put your money there and live abroad. Like, I took Island Magazine's Top 20 Islands in the World reordered it by the cheapest place to get a gallon of milk because (laughs) I love cereal and because it's really expensive to get a gallon of milk in these places. Yeah, it's like $12 in the Bahamas, I think. Right. So top sunny islands with cheapest milk prices and you get Honduras, where a gallon will set you back $2 and property taxes are super cheap. That way you can finally get your lifelong dream of turning your billions into trillions while perfecting your tan. I don't like milk that much, so I think I'll uh, stay put for the time being. But do you know what time it is? Time for our part-time genius fact off. You know it, and you got it. Uh, that that actually didn't sound as cool as I thought it might, but uh, but anyway, you first. So this this great fact I know we've talked about in the past, and that's that in the 70s, the king of Tonga, King Tupu IV, had the greatest, most trivial act of colonization in history. He heard about this tiny, uninhabited island called Minerva, which was nearby and had been set up by this rich American. But it was in his territory, so he took a couple of rowboats and a brass band and basically had them play a song when he took down the old flag and declared it part of his kingdom. I like his style. I know. It was this super silly act made sillier by this ceremonial band. But it's only in rereading about the episode that I learned that Minerva was actually supposed to be this libertarian paradise for rich people. And it was supposed to double as a tax shelter. Oh, wow. Of course, startup tax shelters tend to fare better when they're protected by bigger nations' armies. I would think so. So, Well, you know, when Nixon said the famous lines, people have got to know whether or not their president is a crook, well, I am not a crook. Uh-huh. He wasn't just talking about Watergate. He was agreeing to release his tax returns. What? After turning over his files, it turned out he owed $471,000 in back taxes plus interest. 
<laughs> Did you know that in Mexico, artists can pay their taxes in artwork? No. Wow. Yeah, the program launched in 1957, and the basic idea was instead of going after artists to pay back taxes, why not let them pay with their art? It's the only program of its kind around the world, and today the state owns 7,000 paintings and sculptures from prominent artists. I like this idea. I know, it's awesome. That's pretty good. So did you know the U.S. charges Olympic medal winners taxes on the medals they win? Doesn't that seem outrageous? It does. Here's another one about the IRS. Did you know that the agency actually has a plan for how to collect taxes after a nuclear event? (laughs) No. The section was added in 1989, and it specifies that... 30 days after a disaster, the service will concentrate on collecting taxes again. I I just like that they'll give you a month off, but then it's back to business. That's nice of them to give that time. So, <laughs> well, in 2011, Romania started charging witches 16% income tax on their witchcraft services. What? <laughs> yeah, a few of the witches were overjoyed because it actually meant they were finally legal. They didn't have to work under the table witchcraft. <laughs> but a number of other witches banded together to put a curse on the tax collectors. Oh man, that's good. I was not expecting to hear a witchcraft fact. I think you win this week's fact off. But before we sign off, we should give this week's uh, Part-Time Genius Award. Who do you think deserves that honor this week? I think we should give this episode's award to Ulysses, Kansas. The entire town? Well, the new town. In 1909, (laughs) to avoid a massive real estate tax, Ulysses moved all of its buildings and people, which included 12 saloons, restaurants, a schoolhouse, a church, even an opera house two miles (laughs) down the road. I guess in an episode all about offshore accounts and this elaborate accounting schemes, I like that they use brute force just to move the town a little away. Me too. Yeah, it's genius. So congrats, City Hall of Ulysses. In honor of your forefathers, you're going to get a certificate to put on your fridge, which is going to make all the surrounding town's fridges very jealous. (laughs) Let's hope so. And if you're interested in taxes, be sure to check out Nicholas Shackson's Treasure Islands and The Heavens. Both are incredible reads. That's it for today's Part-Time Genius. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks again for listening to Part-Time Genius. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And because we're a brand new show, if you're feeling extra generous, we'd love it if you give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Part-Time Genius is produced by some of our favorite geniuses. It's edited by Tristan McNeil, theme song and audio mixing by Noel Brown. Our executive producer is Jerry Rowland. Our research team is Gabe Luzier, Lucas Adams, Autumn whitefield Madrano, Austin Thompson, and Meg Robbins. Jason Hoke is our chief cheerleader. has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top ten for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.